This episode of the Noble Warrior Podcast is brought to you by C.K. Lynn Mindset Coaching for Entrepreneurs. Whatever mental blocks in your life you want to overcome as an entrepreneur, fears of failure, inability to take the actions you know there is to take, fear of success, three steps forward and four steps back, or even that thought of not feeling deserving after achieving all the success. Coaching is one of the most valuable tools you can have. It's an investment in yourself, and it can yield some of the highest returns. C.K. Lin has the skills that will empower you to achieve the most accelerated results you've dreamed of. To help you get started, C.K. is offering podcast listeners a free strategy session with him, a $1,000 value. Visit TalkWithCK.com and schedule your free session today. So I'm really excited mm -hmm. to have these two amazing people that I met here at the Awaken Future Summit, Charlie and Maureen. One of the things that immediately impressed me most about the both of you is when you speak, you speak your own truth and you don't shy away from your truth, right? And just the love that's oozing between the two of you is quite inspiring. Mm -hmm. So it's not only is an important way to walk the hero's path, but actually, how do you actually walk the hero's path in union together? Mm -hmm. So welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Charlie and Thank Maureen. Thank you. Thank you for having yeah. us. So why don't we start from where we are, then we can drop into your story, how that is in relevance to your own hero's journey. Right. right? So we're here at a conference, Awaken Future Summit, talking about the intersection between psychedelics, technology, and meditation. What brought you here and why are you here? Well, starting out, really, Maureen brought me here many years ago, got me into the space that I'm now, we're now working in. What brought me here is I have a connection to consciousness hacking. I'm an advisor. And so I've known and advised that group for some period of time. The people who founded this conference are, are friends and we really want to support this work and the convergence of all three of those things. Mm, beautiful. And I would add that we met Mikey before he started Consciousness Hacking, and I felt such intense love for him and from him. And mm. we walked away and said, we love him. Mm. And what can we do to support him? So when Charlie said, oh, they're doing this and Mikey, and we could sponsor it. I'm like, let's do it. Mm. Just because of my love, our love for Mikey. Mm. Oh, that's beautiful. Mm -hmm. mm. So let's talk a little bit of the origin story because you guys do extraordinary, you invest in consciousness ventures, right? Mm -hmm. So tell us a little bit about that. Why that specific thing? Why not just ventures in general? Why specifically conscious ventures? So I'm going to step back for a second and just talk about the Shifted Institute, which is Marine and my work in the world. Our mission is all about inspiring consciousness, igniting human potential and creating paradigm shifts. So the work that I do within that framework and within that organization that we co-founded is to invest in the mental wellness space through this group called the Bridge Builders Collaborative, a group of investors that is investing in the mental wellness space and in applications that can help people connect more deeply to themselves mm -hmm. so that they can live happier, healthier lives. And the reason for investing in that space is because we see a great human need to create better mental wellness, this tremendous suffering that is in the world today. And then as investors, we also see opportunity mm -hmm. because the need is so great. The opportunity for scale is significant. Mm -hmm. So that's why we're investing specifically in that space. Is there an origin story behind 
either mental suffering or mental wellness. Is there anything of your personal narrative that tap into that? I would say that I'm a social scientist who's been committed to alleviating suffering and have done that in many different ways. And well, I became involved and then invited Charlie in to the Mind and Life Institute, which is founded by His Holiness the Dalai Lama mm. and Adam Engel and Francisco Varela. And they have so much science around contemplative practices and transformation that we were just hungry for applications getting out into mm. the world. Mm. Because in my work, people were changing some, but they didn't have the tools they needed for the deep transformation. And we saw mindfulness and meditation as a way to help with that. And I originally got involved in mindfulness and yoga and meditation 35 years ago because I had a spontaneous mystical experience and it wasn't um, from yoga. No, I hadn't done yoga. Mm. I just had a spontaneous mystical oh, spontaneous. experience. It was totally spontaneous. Mm. And Tell us about that. Well, <laughs> so briefly, I had to have back surgery. Mm. And the night before surgery, the physician came in and said, you may not wake up. You may be paralyzed. All these things could happen. Good night. <laughs> and I was in the hospital bed sitting there. And I had this experience because I was already very deeply spiritual in my life. I had this experience of saying, oh, I am completely powerless. I have no control. My only control and power is that I'm choosing to do this. I could choose not to do it. And I just surrendered. Now, this is not a word most people understand. I mean, they understand it intellectually, but not deeply embodied surrender. So I just said, I'm surrender. And in that moment, I went on a trip. <laughs> in <laughs> that moment, when, after yes. you make a decision. Boom. Yes. Well, I made the decision, but I really like surrendered to it. Mm -hmm. And I went. And when I came back... I had no idea what just happened and I had no context for it because I wasn't meditating or doing yoga or I had never done drugs. So I didn't know what was happening, but I was in tremendous joy and I went right to sleep. They woke me up in the morning to prep me for surgery and I was in ecstatic joy and they rolled me into the operating room. They're like, are you okay? Like, did you take drugs? <laughs> I'm like, no. And they're like, we've never had anyone like this before. And when I came out of the surgery, which went beautifully and my recovery was beautiful, I woke up in joy again and I recovered much more quickly than they had thought I would. And my intention at that point was to finish my senior year of college and go on to law school. Mm. But it changed my life. And I then went on this path of discovery. I went to graduate school instead and to try to find context for what happened to me. Mm. And that led me down the path of doing yoga. And this was 35 years ago. So it was real yoga from the East. It hadn't been Westernized and meditation and all kinds of different practices and modalities. And it transformed my life. I just transcended so much. And I continue to have mystical experiences and continue to live multidimensionally without drugs. Mm. But I really believe in psychedelics to help people get there, mm. which is why we're at this conference. Beautiful. Thanks yeah. for sharing that journey. Yeah. yeah. If you look at the hero's journey framework, that was an inciting yes. incident. <laughs> yes. <laughs> wow. There's a lot of different directions we can go. And that was pre-Charlie? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah, I had, a, I had a whole other life. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, and I think that I can say a little bit about yeah. that with us. So I was in service after that point. And I really was in surrender to it evolving. And I started working in the world doing executive coaching and organizational development and bringing new ways and new modalities. I was talking about transformation 35, 30 years ago Mm. in the corporate world. And they thought I was a little bit odd. I got married. I had a child. Then I continued to do my own personal work and continued with my own awakening process. And I left my marriage and knew I wanted something more and kept opening my heart. Then several years later, Charlie came into my life. Want to tell us a little bit about what happened? <laughs> Was it manifested? Did you make a list and <laughs> no. she just showed up that way or just a little bit? No. When I first met Marine, it was actually through our kids who were in school together. Mm. And we got to know each other as friends. Then... We understood that we shared this common love of spirituality, I guess. And we had a connection and we actually started thinking about doing a business together. Hmm. Before the relationship. Before the relationship, yes. Well, I mean, before the relationship turned into a romantic romantic relationship. And if I'm honest, I mean, so I was in a marriage that was not working and hadn't been for some time. And I wasn't able to admit that to myself. But at the same time... I met Maureen and I was falling in love with Maureen. She had no idea that that was happening because she had really good boundaries. Then there was a point in time when I had left my marriage and we realized this divine connection that we have, which when we explored that, people ask us, how long have we known each other? And it's like, well, millions of years, (laughs) multiple lifetimes. And now here we are in this one sharing the sacred union that we have in our life. Yes. And I would like to add, you kind of forgot your awakening. Yes. I was in my own hero. Well, I could talk about my own hero's journey, which was later than Marines. Yeah. But it was before you met me, like your dad died. So my own hero's journey. Sure. Yeah. And Marine talked about hers, which was full of surrender. Mm-hmm. Mine was, I was a little bit more stubborn mm. in for me to get to that point that where I needed to surrender, it took a lot of death. My father and my grandfather died within two years of each other. They were my mm-hmm. role models. And my business had been successful and everything that I'd done in my business wasn't working out. And that was ending. And then my first marriage was practically dead for all sense and purposes, but I hadn't admitted it to myself. And for me, I had a dream one night that I was climbing the World Trade Center and that I knew what I was going to do when I got to the top. This is after the World Trade Center had actually come down, I think. So I woke up and I realized I needed help. Did that moment scare you a little bit? Knowing, hey, this is what's happening in my dream. <laughs> I was not going to practically take steps sure, to commit suicide, right. but I was like, I need help. I was so stubborn to all this that the universe actually had to create sort of three different death experiences happening at the same time for me to wake up. Mm. And once I got to that point and had that dream, that was my opportunity to really say something needs to change. Mm. And so that was my beginning of reaching out, seeking help and going down my own spiritual journey and path. So how were you able to, if you don't mind going there a little bit more, how were you able to maintain your own sovereignty during that time? Because three deaths is pretty, right? Three different physical and metaphorical deaths. It's very, very challenging, right? So how were you able to maintain your own sovereignty during that time? I guess going through the process, there are pieces of myself that I really needed to take a look at and say, 
this is an image that I had of myself and also that many other people had of me and projected onto me. And so how do I go and say it's an image only? It's not my true authentic self. I grew up in a society that was a wealthy society and you were expected to do certain things. And I had to begin to deconstruct all of that, all of the impression management, all of the image that you put out into the world and to say, all that matters is that I find out who I am and then act in that way and follow that path. And so in that process of awakening for me, there was another piece where I had accumulated so many people in my life that I all thought were important. Then I came to recognize that many of those relationships were not built on authenticity. And so I had to begin to let go of those relationships mm. and find more authentic relationships, find what my purpose was and begin to act differently, not only in my business life, but in my personal life. And then as a father, because I, in my first marriage, I had not been a good father. Mm. I had to show up differently for my two children. And then for my third child, who is Marine's child. So I needed a lot of help and support, which I found different people to support me through that journey. Mm. Thank you both for sharing. Mm -hmm. So Confucius had a mental model, which I come to later on in my life. I really, really appreciate. He said self-mastery, mm -hmm. family, mm -hmm. country, and world. And the way I interpreted it originally is, ah, that's too simple. Let me skip level. Yeah. Right. Then later on, I got a little bit more mature, hopefully a little bit more wise. Like, oh, okay, so it's actually sequential. But now, as I'm hearing, going through my life, my own journey, it's actually fractal. It's happening all at the same time. You got to zoom in and zoom out all the time, right? So part of the awakening process, I'd love to hear from you guys. You mentioned the awakening process. My reinterpretation and translation of that is deprogramming of ideas, beliefs, cultural things. That's not of yours, mm -hmm. right? Whether it be from your DNA or from your culture, from your parenting, from your environment, relationships. So what are some of the key modalities that you came across that's very effective for you to deprogram those things that's not yours? Mm -hmm. If you can talk about that a little bit, that would be very helpful. You say that so beautifully because I, especially as a social scientist, I really see that we are entrained and really freedom is letting go of that entrainment. So I have used a variety of modalities, yoga and meditation for sure. Are, Any specific yoga or meditation? No, I think whatever works for you. Mm. I mean, it really varies. And also breath work. Mm. Breath work is one of my favorite modalities. Holotropic? Yeah, it could be holotropic. There's connected breath. There's all kinds. Mm. Very powerful. And always coming back to breath. I mean, you know, everything, always coming back to breath. And then I really am a lot about embodiment. And it's not an outward journey, although there's, as I live multidimensionally, there's many layers, but it's really about bringing it here and being in my body with it. So the embodiment piece is really important. And probably our favorite modality is play. Mm. What kind of play? We are just extremely playful because I think this work is really intense work and we take it too seriously sometimes. Mm -hmm. So for example, when we came together, there were some patterns he had from his past and I had, and we just played with them and had fun with them. And our kids at the time were like 
pre-adolescent and they came together. They loved each other because they had known each other, but they watched us play with that. So there was never any stress or tension or fighting. I don't mm. think we've ever fought. Mm. We have disagreements, mm -hmm. but it's just extremely playful. Mm. And that has really helped us release a lot of our patterns and indoctrination. And the kids caught on and started adding in. I remember a year or two into our relationship, our oldest Lucy said to her dad, you are so stubborn. And he's like, I am. And he starts <laughs> laughing. And then he starts looking at, oh, how can I show up differently with her and not be so stubborn? Mm. So I can't stress it enough. And even Tim Chang's presentation play is such an important part of it. Because so much of what we're doing is projecting out there anyway. So if we can see that or be invited to see that and play with that, then it can shift. Hmm. But when we get defensive or we hold on or attach, it's a little hard to shift. We've been married for okay. 10 years. <laughs> we have been, we've, we've been together, together for, for 14. 14 years. But we continue to do this work. It's not like we've right. reached this state. Yeah. And you haven't actually, arrived yet. No. We, no, we haven't arrived. And so my daughter, nine years ago or 10 years ago or whenever, said I was stubborn. Well, I still have pieces of stubbornness. Yeah. And I still have idiosyncrasies. And I am willing to look at them and do the work. Sometimes it's funny how I do the work. Something hysterical happens. And it's like, oh, shit. Can swear, okay. uh, I, I have the universe and it happens faster and faster. The more you do the work, it's yeah. like the universe is kicking my ass. The universe is kicking my ass. And like, I just laugh at it and try to do the work the best I can to change the behaviors. And then she'll give me shit about it. And then we'll laugh hysterically. And then I'll catch her doing something and then we'll just have fun with it. Okay. So <laughs> we can come back to your deprogramming in a moment, but this, since we're talking about play, let's actually talk about that. I'm a very serious, intense person, as you guys know, right? <laughs> and that's something that I do want to work on, yeah. right? I do want to work in... Ultimately, this is nothing but a dream, life in general. Right. So why be so serious right, <laughs> all the time? Right. It's serious and it's not, right? Right. So in the moment of disagreement, when two egos collide, it's challenging to bring play to that because... You have two opposing point of view or two mm -hmm. different points of view. Mm -hmm. So how do you actually bring that moment of play? So talk us a little bit tactically. How did you create that environment? Is it an agreement? Is it like a safe word? Is it a certain phrase? Is it a certain touch? Like tactically, share it with us. How do you bring play in a, one may say, an intense moment of disagreement? I think it's a, probably the way we look at each other. Because... I'm very animated, so I'll make a face and then he'll start to laugh. Or I might touch each other and just say, wait a minute. And then we start to laugh. It just happened last night when we were outside something. And then I said, yes, I know, honey. And I leaned on you. And then we started laughing hysterically. So there is a touch to it. I think there's face making to it. But I also think we live in joy. I mean, one of the most interesting things a year or two into our blending the families and living together. Mm. Again, the oldest daughter, Lucy, Charlie's daughter came up to me and she said, you're weird. And I'm like, yes, I know, honey. Like, <laughs> what's new? And I bet, why do you say that? She's like, because you're happy all the time. And I said, it startled me. I said, what? And I'm like, yes, I am. Aren't you? And she's like, no. 
then I was like, is your mom? And she's like, no. <laughs> and I was like, oh, well, I want you to be, mm. and I want to give you permission to be. Mm. So I think even back then I was like, okay, we're holding space here mm-hmm. for everyone to be happy and playful and joyful mm. because why wouldn't we? Mm. When we had a family meeting, we would have family meetings. And I said, do you guys have anything you want to add? And the son, our youngest, says, yes, dinners aren't very good. (laughs) (laughs) And I started laughing hysterically because I don't like to cook. And I go, they aren't, are they? They're not very good. I will work on that. And can I have your help? And the kids stepped up and started. She's loud, by the way. Yeah, and I'm loud. It's perfect. I am loud. It's perfect. And I'm an interrupter. <laughs> so I noticed a little bit something that you mentioned a couple of times. It's almost like that improv role a lot. Like, yes, I am this way, yes. aren't I? And yeah. then you continue to add on more, right? Are you conscious about that? Or is it just more of a subconscious thing that you guys do? Yes, and? No, it's very conscious. Yeah. So it's cultivated. Mm-hmm. Oh, Absolutely. Okay, cool. Absolutely. Anything you want to add? Yes, and? <laughs> yes, and the beautiful thing about being in relationship to Marine is I would have tended to take myself really seriously and she doesn't. Mm. So now I have permission not to take myself seriously. And at the same time, part of my nature is to be silly. And sometimes I do stupid things because I enjoy doing them. And she was like, Oh my God, what are you doing? And I'm just being silly and I'm enjoying it. And I don't care if anybody else does. Normally I'm trying not to do that in public, but (laughs) when we're just at home, then when I am falling into patterns that are sort of the negative patterns, then you'll probably point them out. And increasingly I'm like, okay, so where are those in my body? Like what part of my body is participating in that? Because I find with my negative patterns, that like it's not my whole self that's doing that. It's part of me. Mm. If that makes any sense. I want to add, Charlie's very hard on himself. And so even when like I'll get up in the morning, he's up before me and I'll see him. He's in a state of like, he's being hard on himself. So I'll just look at him and I want to say, honey, what's going on? And he's like, nothing. And like, did you make a mistake? And he's like, oh yeah. And I'm just like, you know, and then we just play with it. And then he starts laughing. I'm like, you are so terrible. You made a mistake. And then, then we laugh and then it's over. Mm. And to make a joke out of it. Yeah. Mm, mm, Yeah. Because we're so hard on ourselves. Mm. We are so hard on ourselves and I'm not going to join him in being hard on himself. Mm. (laughs) I love that. Thanks for sharing. Man, there's a lot of things I can go after this. Do you guys coach each other? So there's some conventional thoughts about this, right? So being in relationship with one another, it's about protecting their entity and therefore people have certain roles and you don't want to play the role of coach in a relationship because you're lovers, not coaches Mm -hmm. towards each other, right? Mm -hmm. That's that's one school of thought. Another school of thought is, hey, we're a partner of this life together. When you do some stupid shit, it's not meeting my standard. Let's actually talk about it. So what's your collective thought about this concept? Well, we actively call each other out on our and we have the agreement to do that. And I don't know if I would call it coaching as much as holding space and the agreement to really listen. One of my favorite examples is we were seeing his mom and I hadn't seen her in a while because she traveled a lot and we got in a car together to drive somewhere and I talked the entire time to her. We went to this event then I talked to her the entire time back and then she left and he says to me, honey, I didn't get to say a word to my mom. 
And I said, oh my God, <laughs> you didn't. I started laughing hysterically. I'm like, no, you didn't. Like I totally, cause I hadn't seen her and you've seen her. And so and he's like, yeah, that doesn't work for me. And I'm like, yeah, that doesn't work for me either. Thank you for pointing that out. I'm going to really look at that. So we do that with each other in a very receptive, playful way. Mm. So in a way, there's some coaching going on, but I wouldn't call it that. I'd just call it our partnership. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's part of our intention and our agreement and how we operate. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I wouldn't call that coaching either if, as a coach yeah. myself. Right. Because that's really how you felt at the time. You right. gave each other feedback about how you felt. That was all. There was right. no directive. No. You should do this and that and right. the other thing. Right. Yeah, right. So. Beautiful. And what do you think about the idea of marriage being the third entity? Absolutely. So share with us a little bit more about how you think about marriage as being the third entity. Well, I just think of it as intimacy takes you where you can't go alone. Mm -hmm. And so we have to honor that entity and protect it in some ways because it deepens us as individuals and in the we. So for me, do you know the Vesica Pisces? I do not. Okay, so this is one complete, this is one complete, and when they come together, it's the space that they overlap. So my personal sovereignty, his personal sovereignty, but this is our marriage. Mm -hmm. And in that space, something greater than us comes through. It's mm -hmm. not just the two of us. Mm -hmm. So we do really protect that mm -hmm. and see that as sacred. Anything that you do as a way to protect that their entity from your point of view, Charlie? I don't know if I would say protect it. I'd say we just try to live in it. Live in it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Correct. And I suppose in living that and being authentic to that, mm. then that is protecting it. I mean, protecting it is a different terminology than cherishing it, holding true to it, it being real for us. And if there's protection, we're just not going to let anybody else mess with that. But I don't see it as protection per se. Well, I think I see it as protection from outside. Like the kids are not in there with us. Actually, our work, our business isn't in there with us. The cultivation of the sacred. That's what I meant yeah. when I asked that question mm -hmm. protection. Okay. Yeah. So getting tactical a little bit, right? Because we have ego and our egos are, know. you know, <laughs> not at all. No, 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 no ego. No, no. he doesn't. He's yeah, super conscious the whole time. Every moment. Every moment. Never, the alpha and the omega. I lost it 10 years ago and I never found it again. Yeah, that was awesome. Good for you, Charlie. <laughs> so there are times where the two egos have frictions around the relationship. Washing dishes, the laundry, the, the, you know, the, the mundane stuff, right? I don't particularly like doing them. Hence why I hire cleaners to do all that stuff, right? But in the moment... In service of the third entity, right. I'm willing to say, hey, ego, be quiet. Right. In service of the third entity, do it. You do it, mm -hmm. right? So I'm curious now from your point of view. Oh, my God, you picked the perfect story. Yeah, tactically. So, so in my case, uh -huh. <laughs> my ego says, I want to do the laundry because I want to be helpful. Uh -huh. And she won't let me do the laundry because okay. I don't do it the way that she wants it to be done. Okay, great. And to be true and fair... I have wrecked a few pieces of clothing because I'm not a detail-oriented person, so I might stick something in that doesn't belong or whatever. Right. But it took me a long time to be able to be in surrender to the place of not doing laundry. Right. If that makes any sense. And we had to have, like, this is a serious yeah. point. I'm like, 
honey, I just have to stick the stuff in there. I just put the blacks with the blacks and the whites with the whites. And she's like, then you forget to take this right, out of the dryer. Yeah, and yeah, like, yeah. then you wreck yeah. this or yeah. whatever. So I actually had the very different experience of having to confront my need to be helpful with her desire to do the laundry, which admittedly she does it better than I do. Right. Standards are different. I get it. Yeah. The nuance, the standards, right? The details. Okay. I didn't so, want my clothes ruined. <laughs> of course not. Of course not. So coming back to the grappling, right, of the ego in service with their entity, it's not about the laundry. Right. It's not about the right. dishes. It really is not. Right. Like how do you coexist and co-live or co-create their entity together in spite of the nuance difference in that moment, right? Yeah. So grappling with the ego. So I'm curious to know the internal grappling in that moment. So laundry is a really good example because this was very early in the relationship. I did the laundry and ruined some things. I was like, you know what? I like doing laundry. Just let me do it. You don't have to do it. I have the time to do it. He does other things. And he's like, he was really upset. He's like, well, then well, I want to do it. So let's just make a list and tell me how to do it. And I'm like, okay, but I don't think that's going to work. And we tried it once. It didn't work. I'm like, please just let me do it. And literally, I was coming home one evening from teaching, and I pulled in the driveway, and the steam was coming out of the dryer. Uh-huh. And I, like, very consciously was like, oh, my God, he's doing the laundry. And I freaked. And then I caught myself, right. and I laughed hysterically. Yeah. And I walked in the house laughing hysterically. I'm like, you're doing the laundry. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, how do you know? Uh, the thing is steaming. <laughs> I thought I could get away with it. <laughs> so we just been really... I owned it. Like, I'm really controlling around the laundry, mm. you know? And it's hysterical that I'm so controlling around the laundry. Mm, mm, and he's like, and I, it's hysterical. that too. Yeah, and space management. <laughs> Absolutely. And so he's like, well, and I really want to be helpful, and I can't be. So that's really hard for me. So just really looking at those patterns and having humor about them. Mm. But there's a deeper piece to that, which is now I have to look at this pattern of why do I need to be helpful? Right. And that went way beyond the laundry, right? Like giving and the receiving. And I had to look at a pattern of like, I was a giver and then I didn't allow things to be received. So the laundry was only like an invitation to look at a pattern that was a much bigger pattern. Great. And mine was around, if my clothes get ruined, I have to buy new clothes and that's a money issue. Mm. So I had to look at, well, I can afford, if my, if that gets ruined, I can afford to buy another one. Right. (laughs) Right, right, right. (laughs) I had to look at that. Yeah. Mm. So washing dishes, laundry, these type of things, or house cleaning, mm-hmm. right? These are household issues. Yes. So <laughs> yeah. it really is a symptom to the deeper, it's an opportunity, as you said, to, right. to really examine our identity, mm-hmm. right? So going back to you a little bit, right? So how did you deprogram or at least inventory your identity, your core beliefs, and continue to pull the thread to what empowers you, what disempower you? I'm just going to stay with the helpful theme. <laughs> sure, yeah. As an investor, mm. I have looked at probably 800 companies over the last eight years, maybe more, maybe less, but lots of companies, just about anybody that's in the mental wellness space. I've gotten to know most of them. And my natural inclination was to be helpful to everyone. Mm. And I needed to set boundaries, particularly early on. It was one thing when the space was just developing and there were just a few companies, it was easy to be more helpful. But then as things went along, It was really a question of how much am I being helpful in service to what my real work is and how much am I being helpful just to be helpful because it's a pattern. And I had to look at that pattern about 
how much of myself am I just giving away mm. as opposed to what's the balance of being in service to a bigger industry that is being sort of co-creating and not just always giving everyone just because they ask. For me, it got to an unhealthy place of like I was just spending too much time doing that. Right, right. And so I needed to set boundaries and you provided some wisdom along the way at times <laughs> to say, honey, why are you doing that? Or really, why are you doing that? And then I had to ask the question. I really had to get to this piece of my programming and my family system going way back to when I was little was I needed to be helpful. That was part of my identity. It was part of my survival mechanism in the family I grew up with. And so I needed to deconstruct that. Mm. Let's talk about the deprogramming a little bit. So what specific things did you do to help you identify, hey, hey, this was a pattern. Sometimes it served me, a lot of times it doesn't. So in Maureen's case, is meditation, yoga, and breath work. In your case, how were you able to actually see the pattern? In our relationship, yeah. Maureen is the wisdom and I am the method. Okay. And so if I can be receptive... You're the tactician. Well, I'm the person that takes... So if you think of it like out in the ether or whatever, there's this wisdom that comes down. Yeah. And let's just say it gets channeled through you or that's just who you are. And if I'm listening, then my gift is I know how to take things and scale them in the world. So uh, in the grounded world, yes, in the grounded uh, world of how do we build businesses? How do we build infrastructure? Mm. How do we launch things? How do we create change in the physical world that we live in? Mm. That's my gift. That's what I'm good at doing. So part of this was really like listening to her mm. and she's observing my behavior mm. and watching me continue to be helpful in different areas, mm. whether it's the dishes or whether it's in my business world. She just points it out. And then I have a choice whether to listen to it. Right. And I can either listen to it defensively and stubbornly, which I did for some period of time. Right. And then to just say, wow, I really have to look at this. And then to be open to doing the work, to really getting down to where does that come from? Yeah. Where's the programming that created that? Yeah. And then letting that pattern go. Right. And operating differently. Yeah. So in Chinese, there's a phrase called mo he. It means friction, harmony. So they usually use that phrase or that word when during a relationship. So it's a journey, it's a process to harmonize the two egos coming together in service of the third entity, right? So I'm projecting a little bit. I speculate that it didn't right away join together. It's like, boom, we're right away in harmony. There was a process involved to mohe. Yeah, your relationship. Would you agree with that? Was it a process? Was it a journey? Was it all automatic, simpatico, we're perfect with each other? And then that's that. Yeah, so our experience is kind of unique. Okay. Because it was harmony right away. Oh, it, it, was. it was. Yeah, it was. And it was the connection and the deep love for each other was right away. And it was before we became involved with each other. He was married, so I wouldn't have anything to do with that level of connection. And when he left his wife and that opened up, it was just divine. It really was. I can't even, it from the get-go. Where we had the tension or the friction was the outside world. Mm. What does that mean? Well, his ex-wife proceeded to punish and blame Charlie for mm. the end of the marriage. He didn't leave the marriage for me. He left the marriage and then we became involved mm. and she became involved with someone else right away who mm. she's now married to 
But for whatever reason, she created this narrative of punishing and blaming Charlie. And it was terrible friction within the community we lived and most specifically for our children. I mean, Mm. it was painful for us, but we knew this wasn't really about us. It was her stuff. Mm. So there was a lot of friction. It just wasn't between us. Gotcha. And we had some challenges with the new family she created with her new husband and his four kids for Charlie's two kids who are my stepkids, but I love them as my own, that there was a lot of friction there and having to really show up and Mm. be present to them. And it probably helped anchor our harmony and Mm. playfulness because we wanted them to be in an environment that was safe and life-giving, I guess, when they were with us. Mm. And would you agree so you had a higher purpose yeah. of coming together yeah. in and service it, of the, the people who are dependent on you, yeah. the community that are dependent on you. Yeah. I think it would have happened anyway, just because of the kids that just probably exacerbated it or whatever. I mean, I think that just was naturally how we were going to be together. Yes, it was. And I would say the only one moment of friction I remember was probably six months into the relationship when we had made an agreement to go kayaking with the killer whales in Canada and you weren't committing to doing it. And I just booked my flight and scheduled myself to go. Mm. And he comes home from work and I said, I'm leaving on this date to go do this. And he was like, what? <laughs> like, you're leaving. I'm like, yeah, because you're not committing. And it invited, he went to his therapist and it invited him to see that he wasn't committing to this agreement with between the two of us to go on this journey because he was caretaking his kids. Mm. Remember? And then he came home from his therapist and said, oh, I see this pattern. And is it okay if I come? And I'm like, yeah, if you can get a flight, (laughs) which he did. (laughs) And we went together. But that is the only friction I remember. Do you have any tips for people who are listening to this as a way to prioritize? Mm Because let me actually share this a little bit of my own mental model. People usually say, yeah, just prioritize. Yeah, when it's easy, hey, my integrity versus eating an ice cream, right? It's obvious. Integrity comes first, right? But oftentimes the challenge comes is when my kids versus a vacation with my spouse. Okay, they're very right next to each other. Which one's higher? Which one's lower, right? Do you have any rubric in a way to prioritize or kind of think about when doing these challenging times? What are your higher priorities? It's a really good question. And then we have to include the dog I in that. <laughs> right. I mean, they're, 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 the, 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 the kids aren't the problem. It's the dog. <laughs> right. Our highest priority is the dog. This is the first time we've been apart from the dog from Cookie or for some time because she is a priority. She is like a child to us. I think that we get together and talk about this. I don't think we're fixed about it. It's situational. And then we say, what is our priority? And then... If it's a priority for her, but not for me, then we talk about it and we try to just gain alignment. I don't know if we have sort of, this is our first, this is our second. Like life is part of our relationship. Our kids are part of it. The dog's part of it. Our work's part of it. Our vacations are part of it. We're in dialogue. We really are in flow. And we're just checking in a lot and Mm. negotiating. And Charlie will be like, oh, I'm going to Switzerland to this meeting or whatever. I want you to come. I'm like, yeah, I don't want to go. I've got a lot on my plate right now. I'm not going to go. He's like, okay, well, that's a bummer. Mm. But our life is about flow, even down to where we're living. Mm. So say more about that. So let's actually change your direction. How do you cultivate flow? Because one may say, actually, no, let me stop there. So how do you cultivate flow for you? What's flow for you, number one? And then how do you cultivate? 
Well, let's talk about the in the context of where we live. So we had made a decision from a priority perspective several years ago. Our kids had gone, they were in college or and they weren't going to be coming back home. They were living other places. And we determined that we wanted to no longer spend winters in Minneapolis. So we determined to get a fake vacation home. So we began an exploration. So we went and lived in different places for three or four winters. And we checked out different coasts of Florida. We checked out San Francisco. We checked out Hawaii. We checked all of these areas. So for four years, we're in this process. But nothing is quite working out. We together just continue to explore. And then the flow moment really came from the wisdom. And I'll let you talk about that. My intuition, I just said, oh, have you ever been to Palm Springs? And he said, no. And I said, I haven't either. Let's go there for a week. So we flew in and we got off the airplane at that airport and we were like, oh my God, (laughs) it's so incredible. And we're spending a week at a hotel and we left at the end of the week with a house. Oh, okay. And you crystallized right away. We just knew it. We knew the community, but then there's the other piece was we were looking at houses in different areas and our realtor drove us past this one set of mountains. And you can correct me if I'm wrong. She started to cry and I said, well, this is it. Because I knew that that was where we were going to be. And with it, we found a place within two miles of that, right? right? Mm. But to answer your question about flow, since 35 years, right? And I've done all kinds of things and studied all kinds of modalities and I'm studying one right now and I'm constantly learning My work has really been about raising the vibratory rate of the body, like really becoming at a much higher vibratory rate. So like I can channel, go into trance, bring in energies. I will. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Amazing. As I've done this and continue to do it, you go through this. It was great because there'd be this friction and then I'd have the breakthrough and what it would be is like, oh my gosh, I keep, this is too much. And my life is chaotic because of it. And then I'd have this breakthrough and I would be in this other place. Mm. And what happened is my vibratory rate kept rising mm. and staying there. Mm. And it was interesting because I was talking to Rael Khan about this and he totally got it. He's a mm. scientist. And he's like, yeah, yeah. Like I've been doing it. And he's like, there's more synchronicity in your life, right? And I'm like, yeah. And I can manifest just about anything. So I feel like I live in the flow most of the time. Mm. I think when I come out of it is when I need to take a break from being in it. Oh, I see. It's too much flow. Well, and I often say like this material world can be hard sometimes. Mm. And when I'm trying to live in the material world and get things done Mm. can be difficult And so, you know, I have to take a little break from it and then I can deal with kind of the materialistic things, Mm. if that makes any sense. I want to follow up on that. I want to give Charlie a chance to talk about your definition of flow and how you manage your own flow. I think part of it for me is sort of setting the intentions and then a lot of times then listening, you know, as things come into my life. I've set the intention, right? And then how do I get out of the way for the intention to manifest itself? Mm. And I find in less so over a period of time, as things come up, I'm expecting them to be a certain way because I set the intention. And then, you know, and I think God or whatever laughs and says, you think you know how that's going to manifest. 
And normally the joke's on me mm-hmm. because something comes out of left field that I wasn't expecting. And there within lies the answer. But I'm sitting there saying, well, that's not what I expected. So a lot of times it's Marine that says, pay attention to that. And then I, if I'm listening, I'm like, pay attention to that. And then the flow is already there. I'm just getting in the way of the flow. Mm. It's really setting the intention and then just watching sort of what happens mm. and paying attention to it and being open to it not. I mean, from an ego perspective, I mm. think this is a big part mm. of letting go of the ego. It was like, I really struggled that I couldn't imagine Mm. what the answer was going to be or what the direction was going to be. And every time I did that, the more I raised my own vibratory rate, the quicker the universe would just send something to say, you're full of shit. And I'd start laughing because I was like, I know the answer. I know the answer. And you would say, you're dictatorial, right? <laughs> yeah. And no, she'd laugh at me, declarative. Yeah, de- declarative. Point so, dictatorial. Similar. Yeah. Similar. Correct. Similar. Exactly. But I'd be declarative. Like, I know what's going to happen. Because I went to Harvard Business School, and we were taught to be in command and control, and we knew the answers, and that's the family system I was raised in. You were sort of expected to that. But it really got to a point where I just, like, it would be sometimes seconds after I said something declarative, and then like it would be proven wrong. Mm-hmm. And then she'd, <laughs> then she'd laugh and then, I, then I'd laugh. So how do you just get your own self out of the way mm. to let something bigger or more divine or more flow just allow it to come through? So one may misinterpret that as, let me just not set an intention at all. Let me just follow flow and observe. So I really love the yin yang sign where it is black and white, and there's a little bit of black in the white, yeah. and there's a little bit of white in the black. My own mental model is, hey, set an intention, but hold it loosely mm-hmm. and observe what's around. So I'm curious to know your point of view. How do you actually hold those two spaces together? And I also want to come back to you later about raising your own vibration. That's a, a very juicy topic that a lot of people want to know. So <laughs> hold off to that. But So if you share a little bit about your own mental model of the intention and the flow that would be, or surrendering. Well, the, that the intention amazing. is like our choice mm-hmm. to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. It's here's who I am. Here's what my intentions are for my life or for my work or for whatever. Mm-hmm. And I get to set those mm-hmm. and those can change over a period of time, mm-hmm. but we get to make those choices and I make those. And sometimes we set those together mm-hmm. for our relationship or for our work or for our own mission or whatever. We'll set those, but they're not fixed in stone. But really, that's our choice from my perspective is to set the intentions mm-hmm. and then see what happens. And then after you set it, then you set it aside and just observe what happens. Yeah. Is that what you mean? Correct. Okay. I want to make sure that I, I hear yeah. everything. Correct. Okay, cool. Thank yeah. you. We talk a lot about curious inquiry mm. and we've been really doing this with our kids mm. because they're of that age where they're starting out in their careers and we're just like, well, just being curious, you know what you're intending. So just being curious inquiry about what shows up. Mm. It's essential. So one of the conventional way of thinking, Joseph Campbell, follow your bliss or follow your passion. But one may imagine there's so much pressure. Like, I don't have my passion. I don't know what bliss looks like. Am I in bliss right now? I don't know. But curiosity is this low pressure. Just, Mm -hmm. hey, just pull the thread of curiosity. You may find bigger and bigger energy, and you can call it passion. Bigger and bigger energy, and call it bliss. 
So coming back, great segue to high vibration living. Right. All right. <laughs> so you're living at a real high vibration. How do you cultivate that high vibration in the body, in the mind, in the environment, in the heart? Very intentionally. I'm committed, I guess. So I work a lot with subtle energy and we create space. One of the things I need is that our homes be our uh, sanctuary energetically. So that's why crying when I saw the mountains and I go, this is it. And it's the mountains. The home is there. So to be able to support that, I have to live in such a way in which I'm honoring that. You're honoring that. Yes. Honoring that higher vibration and that space. Mm -hmm. And I hold space a lot. And I do that very intentionally. It's hard to put into words. It really is. And our I ask difficult questions. Yeah, yeah it is. <laughs> and it is very heart-centered. For lack of a better word, it's really coming from that ecstatic love. Not love as we define it, but joyful love. And which is why Lucy thought I was weird for being happy all the time. It's just this place of like compassion, forgiveness, kindness, unconditional love. I mean, that's where I live. And people will come into our home and say, oh, wow, like I can feel this. Or people will say to me, you're really loving. So they do feel it. They just don't quite understand it, so to speak. We have an agreement that I'm in the background. I laugh. I used to teach and work like crazy out in the world. And I walked away from it all. And I really stand behind Charlie as he is the method. And so a lot of what I do is invisible to a lot of people, not to Charlie and to some others. I have the privilege and I feel blessed to be able to be in that place. Mm. I prefer it over being out in the world. Mm -hmm. You know, I used to be on stage, you know, and mm -hmm. I don't want to do that anymore. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he can. <laughs> so it did evolve to this. Mm. And I know others who have been on their journey and I'm, I'm not at the end of mine, nor have I reached a state. I continue to keep doing my work, but I know others who feel the same way. It's like, I don't want to be as engaged in the material world. It was a good ride when I was there, but I want to be in this space. Yeah. So I'm grateful I can be. Yeah. So space is very important. Being in tune to your heart is very important. important. And to the energies around. To the energy around. Yeah. It's for the people who are listening. Yes. Like, I'm in, right? <laughs> I want this. Tactically, what can they do to take certain steps yeah. to raise their own vibration, right? Yeah. Do you have I, any suggestions for them? Well, I just think any kind of grounding exercise and, again, breath work mm -hmm. and the somatic embodiment, mm -hmm. all of that... Instead of going out, it's about creating the container that can bring it all in. Mm. Because it's both. It's mm -hmm. deep within, but it is expansive without. Mm -hmm. It's that paradox. And I would even call it dynamic stillness. Mm. So it's, I like that. Yeah, it's yeah. getting to that space where it's here. Mm. Which is why, for example, I'm really good in crisis. Mm. Because I'm not out. I'm here. Mm. But I do understand the journey because when I used to teach, 
the students, we would do grounding and the students was like, this is uncomfortable. Like I'm feel heavy and I don't like this. I'm like, yeah, that's because you've been out most of the time. Like <laughs> it's going to take a little while to get more deeply in and you're going to feel that density. It's not attractive to a lot of people, but if you stay with it, the body starts to shift. The energy in the body, the vibration of the body starts to shift. Have you ever watched the movie being John Malkovich? Yes, because I like John Malkovich. <laughs> oh, cool. uh, he's extremely talented. And the thing that actually came to me, part of the movie, they're in his head. You can actually see it. So it's almost like they're riding a robot, looking at his, through his eyes. Right. And I would say a lot of my own journey is actually very much like that. So I'm not all the way out here. I'm actually a little bit more distant. Does that make sense? Riding a robot kind of a thing. And, but as I get more embodied, the lens comes closer and the world is, but I actually had a, a psychedelic experience where I'm like too much out here. And I was a total unknown territory. I had no idea. It was super overwhelming. I just didn't know. Like it was super raw, super sensitive. So I'm very curious about the steps one needs to take. Oh, I would love to be more embodied, but I don't know how to actually take that step. Mm-hmm. You know, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So do you have any suggestions for me? Well, yes. Or people like me. Well, I think part of it is just we are so entrained to be out of our body, to be, I call it living above the neck Mm -hmm. and really quieting the mind and really getting into your heart space is probably where I start with most people. Mm -hmm. And this is years ago when I was doing executive coaching, these very successful men wanted to get from their heads to their hearts. And so helping them to get there meant you really have to examine some of your programming Mm. and then actually be courageous enough to change it and really come from the heart. Mm. And the heart is much more about connection and allowing and emerging and unfolding versus I know the way and this is what we have to do. Sovereignty. yeah. Yeah. So... Practicing that is really important. I mean, this was such a good example. We both got in the cab, we or lift, and we really wanted to go to the ceremony. And we got in, and I knew right away we weren't going to make it. And I just sat there calmly and just said, "Just breathe." And the driver was upset, and Charlie was upset, and they're both men. And I'm thinking, (laughs) if they could just shift into the three of us are together, like just be together Mm. and it'll all be fine and we'll get here and it'll all be fine. And it was. Mm. So that was a really good example. Mm. The attachment to how we want it to be Mm. is a huge problem from being in the body. Mm. Say that last sentence one more time. The attachment to how we want things to be, which Mm. is coming from the head, Mm. interferes with us being in our body. Right, because it should be a certain way, mm-hmm. and it's not this way, right. and there must be a problem, something's right. wrong. Right. And then you have your anxiety, your yes. anger, your yeah. fears, and exactly. these survival instincts that pops up. Mm. Versus I'm just right here now, and this is what it is. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. Yeah. Appreciate that. Yeah. We'll talk more after this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Charlie, going back to you, do you have any specific mm-hmm. tactical or any disciplines, daily disciplines, as a way to help you tap into higher vibration every day on this topic i just really think you're the one to defer to i mean i listen to a lot of your wisdom and i do have my own practices but i don't think this is my area even though my last name is hartwell it's a good last name i try to live in my heart you embody that and i think you're more the expert in that well i don't know that you live high vibrationally which i'm grateful for because he's Mm. my rock 
Interesting. Yeah. So say more about that. Actually, say more about that. I'm curious. But yeah, let's talk about that. Well, again, I mean, here I am in the material world, mm-hmm. and I'm helping to bring organizations, companies, entrepreneurs, products, services, whatever, that are going to help all of us raise our vibrational rate if we choose to embrace them. Mm. And I try to help in the grounded, practical, physical world mm. How do we get those into healthcare systems? How do we get those into corporations? How do we get the FDA to pay attention and to reimburse things? How do I help an entrepreneur if they have a problem with their team? How do we price things? Those are not all things that probably at a higher vibrational rate all the time, those would be practically irrelevant or just not things that one would focus on. Mm. But it's my passion in the work that I do to be able to be in that place so that we can create more chances for humanity to live differently and so that our species can actually survive. And then there are times when you have sort of said, I'm so glad that you are, are I'm your like grounding force or I'm my rock, the rock that helps to bring you back down sometimes from that or just, well, it's or just, it's not, down. yeah, correct. It's, just, it's more of you are an ingenious innovator. So you just know how to like, laser the method you know how to laser channel that into this material world and get it done mm. and i have no interest in that mm. <laughs> interesting i had an interesting conversation with my lift driver today and it's maybe interesting to this conversation he essentially says success is being able to achieve your vision mm-hmm. and then fulfillment is visioning what you achieve right so i'm hearing two sides of the same coin you're about success, achieving what your vision is. Set it, achieve it, right, in this material world. And you're more focusing on wanting. I'm just visioning. Fulfillment, yeah. Yeah. We have a foundation called the eagle and the hawk. I'm the mm. eagle, he's the hawk. Mm. Because I just soar above and have the vision, and I swoop down and say, la, <laughs> honey, and then I go back up. And then he actually listens, and it goes down that path. Mm. Right? Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Yeah. So maybe talk a little bit about that journey from being very cerebral, HBS, to <laughs> heart well, heart operated, and then actually striking a really harmonious balance. Maybe that's probably not the right way to say it, but you know, a harmony between the two for your own journey. That actually would be really helpful because mm-hmm. uh, guys like me, who is in that journey right now, right, would love to hear your own journey. So you and I had a little bit of a discussion about this yesterday, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but I think the way that I'd frame this a little bit is being in touch with both the masculine and feminine Mm -hmm. side Mm -hmm. of myself. And while that's not necessarily the same as being in the head and the heart, even when I'm in my head, I'm a really kind, generous person. I always have been. It is my nature. That is a heart-centered activity, not a brain-centered activity. But at the same time, I was trained at Ivy League universities, I worked on Wall Street, I've had all these other things that sort of kept me in my head and my family system was very much about being in the head and how do you make sense of this world. So there are times, I guess, where in the business world, I I do have to be in my head and make sense of things. And at the same time, like how do you be in your heart and just be kind and generous and use my gifts to actually increase the chance of success of something, doing it from a place of generosity Versus a place of greed, doing it from a place of 
kindness versus I have to use you to get what I want done. Using it from a place of collaboration versus dominance and suppression, which is what they taught at Harvard Business School. When I went there, it was a dominant suppression model. And I really struggled being there because that's not the way I operate. Right. That's the only way to win. That's the only way to win. Dominate. Be on top. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And in the world that I live in, my joy, my play is how do I co-create? How do we, I being part of it, co-create a new global industry Mm -hmm. around mental wellness? Well, that's not about me dominating. That's me about unleashing and collaborating and being able to see different people's gifts and to say to a certain extent, like, well, you should connect with this person mm-hmm. and this idea should connect with this capital and this idea should connect with this insurance system. And this gift I have is to see on some other plane how to connect energies of people, ideas, products, services to distribution systems that help scale things. Mm-hmm. And so part of that is the knowledge that I have in my head and my learning. And part of it's just if I'm in my heart, it's just like, oh, this makes sense to connect this to this. And who do we collaborate with to make this happen? And so that's just my sort of modus operandi, how I operate. Yeah. And I want to add, yeah, he's please. so empowering. Like it's all about empowering the other, mm-hmm. like the way he works with his entrepreneurs or even the boards and they all love him because he's just kind and empowering. It's never about Charlie. That's fair to say. Every once in a while probably is, but most of the time I try not to be. Yeah. So for entrepreneurs that's listening to this, right, there are a lot of them who want to operate from that bigger model, shall we say. But there's also a lot of noise from the media, from our prior trainings, wherever they get it, that you got to outcompete. You got to force your way through this. Everyone, you need to step on other people as a way to get to the top, et cetera, et cetera. And it's difficult, right? Because they're birthing a new idea, a new product, a new service into the world without actual evidence yet. There's that cognitive dissonance. Mm-hmm. And to be a visionary, you got to hold that and continue to generate momentum towards that, right? So at times, it's a very lonely journey. You probably have been through it both through yourself. Mm-hmm. So how do you have faith going towards your purpose, your mission, birthing the idea into the world? At the same time, everyone else is telling you, got to outcompete, right? Got to profit-driven, got to whatever. So tactically, any suggestions for them to continue to walk their own hero's journey as entrepreneurs, as high-impact leaders, birthing this new model into the world without evidence yet? So in 1998, I met this woman who was the first woman that had ever crossed the ice to go to the North Pole. Mm. Her name's Anne Bancroft, and the only woman in the world that had skied to both the North and South Pole. And she'd come back and been financially unsuccessful, but it created such inspiration for girls and women. And she sat down and talked about this expedition that she wanted to do to cross Antarctica. And I had this professional emotional moment where she told me her vision and the business plan came. It was like channeled, like, how do we do this? How do you cross this? How do you not go into debt? How do you create global impact? So she describes how after meeting me, like her fax machine was just like I had a business plan. I was writing it out and she decided to partner with me. We co-founded a company together, which turned out to be the first for-profit expedition in U.S. history because what she wanted to do only made sense to me if we really looked at making it actually bigger than it was and doing it as a for-profit model. Mm. So it was her mission, but it became our mission. 
how do we inspire girls and women around the world through this incredible expedition? So in order to do that, you're facing elements. So the actual expedition was about 90 days. They're pulling 250-pound sleds across Antarctica, 1,700 miles, going from sea level to 10,000 feet. There's no other humans that they run into the entire time, except at the South Pole. It's minus 20 all the time. So how do we do that? And then how do we create a global movement about empowerment of women and girls through that mm. at a time when women's sports were not what they are today? Mm. The WNBA was just starting. There was no sponsorship for girls or women. So in order to do that, like we could have the vision, but we needed a team. Mm. And I needed to find people who were better than me mm. at all of the areas that would create this global movement. Mm. And we needed to do it in a couple of years. Mm. So I can't ski across Antarctica, nor did I care to. Mm. I only use my leadership gifts to go find the best people in certain areas of technology, marketing, sponsorship, etc., to help take this expedition, find sponsors like Volvo and Motorola and Apple and the Girl Scouts and CNN and raise more money competing against the Olympics. We found these sponsors and we created a global event that generated 3 billion media impressions wow. and 3 million kids from 65 countries were following along through an educational curriculum that we developed. When I look at that, I can't do any of that. Mm. You find people who can help you. So for entrepreneurs, what I'd say is you are the vision holder. You are the leader. Mm. Who do you go out and invest with that is actually going to support you? Mm. Who are you going to find on your team? And as an investor, by the way, when I find somebody that says, I want to find people that are better, I may be an A minus entrepreneur. I want to find A plus people that are on my leadership team. Mm. That's when I actually get more in interested in investing in them. Mm. Because if it's just about the entrepreneur, you're not going to go that far. You need to trust people that are better than you at the areas that's going to make your vision successful. It's definitely beautiful. And there's a phrase that goes, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Yes. Mm, that's really good. Yes. Right. You really illustrated that with your powerful narrative. So when she came to you, let's use that example. When she came to you, did she have that vision crystallized or you help her broaden that vision to inspire girls in sports all these things. Did uh, she actually had that powerful she, narrative where you go, she, she, ooh, I want she, she had the vision. She did. My vision was how do we accomplish it and how do we make it actually bigger than you think it can be? Yeah. So she had a glimpse of a vision. You helped her develop it. She really had a mission. She like she knew what she wanted to do. She uh -huh. wanted to cross Antarctica. She wanted to be, you know, the first all women's expedition across Antarctica. Yeah. She knew she wanted to do that. And she was a school teacher. She knew she wanted to empower girls yeah, yeah, because yeah. that's what she had done for a living. This was actually her classroom. Right. And what she trusted me to do was actually say, well, okay, let's make that much bigger. Let's yeah. just use that event to yeah. make it yeah. much more scalable than you thought it was yeah. before we met. Yeah. She helped her operationalize that vision. Correct. With a business plan, with a team, recruitment, all these other things. Oh, it's beautiful. And how do you, I was, I was just talking actually. Yeah. I was talking to my daughter who is now working for La Liga and helping to bring Spanish soccer to North America and she's developing sponsorships. And I was remembering back when we went out with this idea to sponsors yeah. and we're sitting there talking to the CEO of Volvo and 
vice president of marketing at Apple. And like, we were trying to like create tangible things, but we were really selling a vision. Mm. And we not only had the passion that people believed in, again, that for entrepreneurs, like your vision is what people will believe in. And then the team that you hire will help you to make that. And investors, if you're looking for them, will come to because of that. Mm. But in doing that, you know, with this expedition, I'll never forget sitting down with the CEO of Volvo after the expedition. And they paid us a good sum of money. They were our lead sponsor. And I sat down and I like dumped all the media on his desk. It was like two feet high, the major articles. They'd been on David Letterman. They'd been Volvo. Did he, they, and he said, like, this is the highest return on investment of any sponsorship in Volvo's history. But, you know, that comes from a vision and then sort of creating something that's not there yet. And then all of a sudden it happens. Then it became just bigger than we ever thought it could be. So how do we find more Charlie Hartwell right. and Maureen Hartwell? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that would be an unnatural question, right? Because get it, enroll, want to go far, find a team, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. A competent team mm-hmm. that helps you develop your vision into an operationalizable way to make a change in the world. Well, you know, your question, how do we find more of those? I think it's finding it within everyone. Everyone yeah. has this yeah. gift and it's not our gifts. Yeah. My gifts are not Marine's gifts okay. and your gifts are not my yeah. gifts. And so really, how do you find your gifts? Because... Mm. Whatever it is that you intend to do, mm. that's all inside you. So I'd just say everyone has this, just different. I want to add that yeah, I do think, so I'm just speak in terms of manifesting. Mm. I do think setting an intention, then getting out of the way so it can manifest does also mean you're going to be shown what needs to be changed within you for sure. that to happen. Sure. So before we became a couple... I was very much, I'd been divorced for several years and I really wanted a partner. So I had set a very clear intention about wanting a partner who I could play with. Mm. He wasn't descriptive. It wasn't like him. It was about me, like how I wanted to feel in a relationship, Mm. free and playful and met. And Charlie at the same time was married before we met, but he had been, if I can share this, he had been writing, I want more intimacy in my life, Mm -hmm. thinking... He, they would manifest with his wife. Mm. It did not, mm-hmm. which is why he left his marriage. Mm-hmm. So I believed when I set that intention, mm-hmm. I believe there are you know, 7 billion people on the planet. There has to be one partner out there for me. Right. I didn't know what he would look like, how he would show up, when it would be, right. but I believed it and mm-hmm. it happened. Mm-hmm. And not exactly how I would have wanted it to happen because of the fallout from it. But that commitment to the intention and the belief that it would happen. And then when it did, the first six months, I would say to Charlie weekly when we were dating, I can't do this. I'm too vulnerable. And I was like, oh my God, what's up for me to get out of the way here is how strong I've been and not willing to be vulnerable. Mm. And I had to go down that path. Mm. Leaning to your discomfort. Yes. And start going, oh, interdependence, because I'd been so independent. And I really had to do some work around that. Mm. Because I hadn't, I would have gotten in the way of the relationship. Mm. So you, you let your ego get out of the way in service of this new third entity that exactly. you're developing together. Yeah. yeah. And every time I'd say, I can't do this, I'm too vulnerable, he would just laugh and go, <laughs> I love you. <laughs> Which was helpful. So I can't say enough, like for the entrepreneurs, if they have sure. a vision and an intention 
and they really want to manifest it. They do have to believe it can happen, but they also have to be observant of what is subconscious or unconscious in them that's getting in the way mm. of it happening. I agree. Yeah. I really love the ethos of this organization called EO, Entrepreneurs Organization. My understanding of their ethos is it's never about the business. You want to change the business, change the entrepreneur. Right. Change your internal lens of how you look at this reality, right. right? This world. So it starts from within. Yeah. Going back to Confucius, like right. self-mastery, right? Family, and country in the world, right? So we cover a lot today. Thank yeah. you so much. It was awesome. I really, really appreciate it. Both of you being so generous with your wisdom, with your story, with your narrative. So for someone that's listening right now, what's one thing that they can take actionable? From everything, all the different angles that we cover, from relationships, so self-mastery to relationships to building businesses. What's one actionable tip that you would give them? Say, hey, do this. Start here. Do your own work. Set the intention. Pay attention. And then go after what shows up. I would say always return to the breath. Mm. Always return to your breath in your body. Mm. Experiencing breath in your body. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Actually, one more thing. I totally forgot to ask. We're at this conference, Awaken Future. <laughs> Is there any specific technology, actually, that you come across or you're really bullish about that, I mean, you look at 800 yeah. different things. Yeah, yeah. Is there anything that it would enable us to set your intention, get in the body, get mm-hmm. out of the way? Anything, you know, let's geek out on that a little bit <laughs> as a sneak peek to maybe a, the next episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've invested in several companies that can help with that. And then there are others here that also can help that. So I'll use one as an example, and then you might have other thoughts. Is I think a really great tool that we invested in is called Insight Timer. Insight Timer is a meditation app or a consciousness app that's got 3,000 teachers from around the world teaching in their own native language, or maybe they're musicians or they're meditation teachers, or maybe they're scientists, but they're 3,000 with 350,000 people every day using it. And, you know, maybe one in 1.8, 1.9 million people using it on a monthly basis. And what I find is that that tool can help people down this path because you find what works for you on the platform Mm -hmm. versus a here's our prescribed path for you. It's like there's a wealth of different teachers that you can find to meet you at the moment that you're at. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's a technology that we have found that I'm pretty excited about. Mm. There are several others too, but I'll use that as, as an example. Before you go, so actually, so since we're in this conference of in the intersection between meditation, psychedelics, and technology, something Ting actually said earlier, we definitely need something like Insight Timer for psychedelic journeys, mm-hmm. right? What happens mm-hmm. afterwards? Mm-hmm. And how do you actually integrate the peak experience into your daily lives? Mm-hmm. So one thing that one may look at is, hey, have an insight timer to help you integrate mm-hmm. everything that you learn. Because everyone is different. You know, as people may resonate with me the way that I integrate, but resonate with you the way you integrate, et cetera, et cetera. Correct. Thank you for that. Beautiful. Absolutely. Maureen, please. I have two technologies. If you're wanting to just connect more deeply to your body, just so that you can start checking in with it more, I think the muse, Arielle was talking about from Interaxon, what she didn't mention is that besides the brain waves, e.g. there's heart rate variability, movement, and breath. So if you're starting to like check in and go in and like be present to yourself and your body, you're going to get data on all of those things. I don't know why she didn't mention those other things, but you're going to get that data. 
So it helps you to go, oh, I thought I was in that state and here's what my body was doing. So I think that's really helpful again for that embodiment piece. Mm. In terms of technology, if you really want to transcend some of this subconscious beliefs and cord drivers and negative patterns, and there's this amazing new technology that is about 10 years old, and there's only about 70 of us in the world who are certified in it called quantum neuro reset therapy. Oh, I'm fascinated. We use neurological testing with light and we use muscle testing. We use lasers. And we basically, the body tells us what the subconscious imbalance in the brain, the belief in the body, and we do a reset to the emotional pathways and the nervous system that clears it. I've never seen anything like it in 35 years. Wow. I've been doing it for a couple of years and it's mind blowing. And that's in like a 40 minute session. It's like, yeah, Yeah. it takes 20 to 40 minutes. I've never seen anything like it and I've never seen change in people the way I have seen with this. Wow. Have you experienced other modalities like that transformational methodology? So everything they've done, this is <laughs> right. Dozens. More than ex- dozens yeah. yeah. And this is like, this is the top. And we were just joking yesterday. Like, mm-hmm. wouldn't it be great after someone has used psychedelics, mm-hmm. right? They're coming through that and reintegrating their body is really, it's going to be in this place of, processing, wouldn't it be great to do QNRT then or quantum neuro reset therapy then? Because what's probably going to show up Mm. is what showed up in their experience, Mm -hmm. whatever that was that needs to be cleared. Mm. The thing I like about this is it's clearing it on a biological, chemical, physical level. Mm -hmm. Physiological. Yeah. 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 It's really quick and efficient. It's really quick and efficient. And some of the stories that you have of like the instant shift in how it manifests itself it's remarkable yeah beautiful yeah so thank you both yeah thank you, thank you <laughs> thank have you. a beautiful rest of the day guys all right listeners thank you so much for listening if you have any questions about what we discussed anything that needs to be answered please go to noblewarrior.com forward slash group we'll be happy to answer those questions there take care now